I'm Jessica Reeves, and I've been analyzing and reporting on extremism for the last 10 years, and I have the gray hair to prove it. Subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, for an always eye-opening look inside the daily work of exposing, fighting, and disrupting all facets of extremism. My co-host, Oren Siegel, and I explore this ever-changing landscape and bring you stories of people and places impacted by extremism, those who fight to protect our communities, and those who offer new perspectives. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts. John. Hi, Tom. Welcome to Pod Save the World. It's good to be here. This is your first non-ad appearance. I know. We're, we're right here in our office well, yeah, Crooked the, Media HQ. It's a historic day because this is the first time I've ever used our new studio, and it's awesome. It's also the first Republican who's come on Pod Save the World. It's the first Republican elected official that's come on any Crooked Media <laughs> podcast. Know. We were nice. He was nice. It was Congressman Will Hurd. Uh, he represents the 23rd District in Texas, which is like San Antonio to El Paso. The guy was in the CIA for nine and a half years. Badass. Uh, he serves on the Select Intelligence Committee. We talked about what he did at the CIA. We talked about why he got into politics. We talked about the Iran deal and his take on it and ISIS and social media and how he used to chase down Al-Qaeda guys in Pakistan and wow. do all kinds of interesting stuff. He's a, he's a very smart, impressive guy. There was a great Politico profile on him that listeners should check out if they like this interview. He's someone who seems to got a very bright future in the Republican Party despite being extremely moderate for Texas. so That's exciting. Yeah, it's cool. Republicans, come on our podcast. Yeah. Adam Kinzinger, you're from Illinois. I know Illinois. I know we're Peoria. Not, we're come not on some, on. We're not some fucking propaganda machine over here. <laughs> yeah. We're nice. We're, mostly. Okay. Here's the interview. My guest today on Pod Save the World is Congressman Will Hurd. Congressman Hurd is a Republican representing Texas's 23rd Congressional District. He serves on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Before being elected to Congress, he served in the CIA for nine and a half years. So that committee assignment, among the many others, is fitting. Congressman, thank you so much for coming on the show and for being willing to talk to a bunch of former uh, liberal Obama hacks when you are a Republican. (laughs) It's my pleasure. I appreciate you talking about issues of, of national security and foreign policy. It's something near and dear to my heart and something important for all Americans to understand and know about. I agree. So- While you were in the CIA, you reportedly worked undercover in places like Afghanistan, Pakistan, India. I know you can't get into a ton of detail, but I think it's useful to try to demystify what these jobs are a little bit so that people don't think it's just Carrie Matheson. Can you talk a little bit about like what your job was day to day? What did you do over there? Sure. So so my technical title, I was a a case officer or operations officer. And and when I was in, it was called the Directorate of Operations. Now it's the National Clandestine Service. And I was the guy in the back alleys at four o'clock in the morning collecting intelligence on threats to the homeland. I was the dude recruiting spies and stealing secrets. And it was a a fantastic job. And I always like to let people know that when it comes to the DO or the National Clandestine Service, they are the collectors of last resort. If you can't get a piece of information any other way, using any of the other intelligences or ints, or if you couldn't get it through diplomacy, or if you don't understand if or signals intelligence, which is the NSA and taking something out of the air, if you can't get information one of those other ways, 
you call the National Clandestine Service of the CIA to get it from a human. And so my job was handling our, you know, existing folks that were giving us information to help us understand national security issues. And second, it was, you know, what I like to say, new business. So we would be tasked with trying to understand the plans and intentions of the Haqqani network in Pakistan and Afghanistan. And, you know, my, you know, someone like me and my unit was responsible for trying to find the people that can ultimately help answer those questions. So it was a pleasure to work on some of the most important national security issues of the day. My career started, I drove my Toyota Forerunner from San Antonio to Washington, D.C., the day of the USS Cole bombing in the Gulf of Aden in Yemen. And I ended up being the the desk officer for Yemen. So I helped support the field um, from headquarters pretty much immediately after um, that attack. And then, you know, we just, you know, uh, remembered the 16th anniversary of 9-11. And on September 12th, 2001, I was like the fourth or fifth employee in the unit that ultimately prosecuted the war in Afghanistan. Um, So... Uh, Al-Qaeda and terrorism was a topic that I spent a lot of time focused on during my career. Hmm. I read that you were inspired to get into politics to run for office because you briefed some members of Congress who just didn't understand basic facts about foreign policy, like the difference between a Sunni and a Shiite. First of all, for anyone who, who doesn't know who may be listening, can you explain that difference? And more importantly, like why is it important or, or rather, why is it dangerous for a lawmaker or a counterterrorism official to not understand that fundamental distinction? Sure. And, and let me set some context for, for that. And, and that was just one of many. In, in addition to collecting intelligence on threats to the homeland, I had to brief members of Congress and, and other elected officials. And I was pretty frustrated with the caliber of our elected leaders. And I was in Kabul, Afghanistan. A bomb went off in front of our embassy, took out a um, section of our wall, killed some local guards, and my unit was responsible for trying to figure out what happened. And this happened at 03.30 in the morning. And later that evening, we had a congressional delegation of members of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. And that evening, I was supposed to brief these members, and I walk in, and the first member I hear is saying, is the CIA going to cut this briefing short so we can get to the bazaar to buy some rugs? Oh, my God. So, yeah, I'm annoyed going into the briefing. Then we get in the briefing, and this member had been on the committee for five years, asked, and this is about 2007, 2008, by the way, why was Iran not supporting the Taliban in Afghanistan the way Iran was supporting other groups in Iraq? And, you know, I started explaining the Sunni Shia divide, and he raises his hand. He says, heard, what's the difference between a Sunni and a Shia? And I'm thinking he's getting ready to make a really inappropriate joke, and who am I to deny him that opportunity? And, <laughs> okay. and my response was, I don't know, Congressman, what's the difference? And I'm getting ready to go, you know, but I'm bum bum right? And he didn't know that difference in Islam. And I always say it's okay for my brother not to know that um, because he sells cable in San Antonio, Texas. But it's not okay for someone who's sending our boys and girls to places like Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen. And I don't expect, you know, Sunnis, you know, the split between Sunni and, and Shia began after the death of the Prophet Muhammad. Sunnis uh, believed that the next in line of the caliphate was Abu Bakr, who was... Muhammad's 
father-in-law. But Shias believe that Ali was ordained by God to be the replacement. And that is so the friction between the two branches of Islam began back in 632 A.D. Now, I don't expect every member of Congress to understand that story. But what you have to understand is that Iran, Shia, pretty much, you know, Iran, uh, Lebanon, parts of Syria, Shia, a big part of, of section of Iraq. Then you have Sunnis, pretty much, you know, everyone else. And that there is conflict between those two entities. You got to understand that a Shia-backed government, Iran, is unlikely to support Sunni-based extremists, right? So these are some of the very basic elements um, that you have to understand when you're talking about uh, the global war on terrorism. I, I think it's really hard for a lot of Americans and American officials to get beyond just geographical lines, right? You know, the difference between an Afghan and Pakistani. Then, you know, some people understand the difference within religion and Islam. But what we really, in order to understand some of these areas, you have to go even deeper and you have to understand the tribal and cultural differences. And that's something that is frustrating when you have people back here in Washington, D.C. making decisions on spending billions of hard-earned taxpayer dollars that are sent making decisions on sending our brothers and sisters and moms and dads into harm's way. They should, if you're on the House Intelligence Committee, you should understand something that basic, in my opinion. And so that's, you know, my mama said you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. And so I decided to run for Congress, and, and I lost. <laughs> I lost that, that first election <laughs> by 700 votes. But it was really one of those things that I saw in my time in the agency um, that was frustrating to me, and I thought I can do a better job. Yeah. You're not the first person that has expressed frustration at the lack of knowledge about that specific distinction. I remember in 2005, a reporter named Jeff Stein went around and asked a whole bunch of members of Congress, FBI officials, what's the difference between a Sunni and Shia? Not even going back to 600 AD, but like who sides with what country, the exact sort of basic distinction you were looking to get out of these lawmakers. And uh, a lot of people didn't know. And it was very frustrating for him. And, and it, it speaks to a bigger problem, I think, which is like in intelligence and foreign policy generally, history and nuance and context are so important. And CIA officers of students of history and nuance and context. And Washington is a place that is allergic to it. Does our screwed up political conversation doom us to have screwed up foreign policy debates? How do we fix it? Well, it's it's a great question, and and I I agree with your premise. Um, I think uh, what I have learned in my two and a half years in Congress is that most individual members, you know, from from all political stripes and, and walks of life, really want to do the right thing and really want to understand things. And but the problem is when you don't have people that have an experience in these topics. It's hard to get educated on it to, to make these decisions. And, you know, so I, I think we need more folks running for office from on both parties that have a background or exposure to national security or foreign policy. One of the things I have a lot of young folks that come up to me and say, hey, what do I need to do in order to run for Congress? I say, go have a go get a job, you know, go get a job, mm -hmm. go do something else, go have a career, go have an expertise and bring that experience back into the organization. Because uh, look, my time in 
and the agency is so invaluable in you know the work I do on national security and, and cybersecurity. And you know, I used to meet with an old, you know, one of the original Mujahideen. One of the you know those are the folks that ultimately fought the Russians in the eighties in, in Afghanistan. And he would always tell me, he goes, Mr. Willie, you know, they always call me Mr. Willie for some reason. He said, you know, I've been a, a Pakistani for 50 years. You know, Pakistan as a country is a relatively young country. I've been a Muslim for 1,410 years, but <laughs> right. I've been a Pashtun for 3,333 yeah. years, right? And, and, you know, it's hard for us as Americans to understand how that has an impact on a people, on a behavior, on, on a group of, of folks. Um, but it does. And so because I've had that experience, I'm able to bring that to the, the legislative process, which I think mm -hmm. is important. And the only way is to continue. You know, I try to educate my colleagues. I try to spend time trying to explain my experience to folks and to help them better understand a particular issue. Pod Save the World is brought to you by the UN Refugee Agency. The UN Refugee Agency, or UNHCR, responds to emergencies and provides long-term solutions for refugees. They provide aid in over 130 countries, including Ukraine, Syria, Afghanistan, and Sudan, where people are forced to flee from war and persecution at their greatest moment of need. UNHCR helps and protects refugees by providing food, shelter, medical care, and other life-saving essentials. The agency jumpstarts relief in three key ways. They transport core relief items stored in even the most remote areas of the world. They deploy expert emergency staff trained to help in crisis situations, and they transfer funds directly to support the emergency. Because of generous supporters and donors, UNHCR can scale up its response within 72 hours of a large-scale emergency. Your support helps provide life-saving aid for refugees whenever and wherever emergencies occur. Donate to USA for UNHCR by visiting unrefugees.org slash donation. That's unrefugees.org slash donation. Support for Pod Save the World comes from the International Rescue Committee. The IRC works in more than 50 countries, serving people whose lives have been upended by war, conflict, and natural disasters. In places like Gaza, Ukraine, and Sudan, displaced families are experiencing war, extreme hunger, and life-threatening injuries. In Gaza, Ongoing violence, bombardment, and blockade have made survival difficult for families living in damaged buildings and tents. The lack of safe water, medicine, and healthy food contributes to the spread of diseases, and children are especially at risk. The International Rescue Committee is working with local partners in Gaza to provide life-saving medical care to injured civilians. The IRC works around the world to help families in crisis by delivering critical supplies such as therapeutic food for malnourished children, clean water, cash assistance, and more. Your donation will support this work and help children and families survive. Listen, the International Rescue Committee is an incredible organization. They are doing the Lord's work all around the globe. I have donated to them, you know, for many, many years now because I know that my dollar will go towards helping people. It's not going to go to administrative costs or overhead fees. It's just an incredible group doing great work. I hope you'll consider them. Donate today by visiting rescue.org slash rebuild. That's rescue.org slash rebuild. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, if you're listening to Pod Save the World, you need some therapy. 
you're watching the events around the world that might freak you out. We've got this election coming down the pike. There's a lot of stuff that people uh, are stressed about, that are anxious about, stuff that makes you lose sleep, and therapy can help. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash crookedworld. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crookedworld. Presidents from both parties have declared expansive powers to conduct foreign policy. You've seen this from the you know, sort of intel community executive side. But in your view, now that you're a member of Congress, like how should Congress factor into foreign policy making? What do you think Congress's role is? And do you think it's you know serving that role well? I think Congress's biggest role is in oversight. And I think, you know, um, it, it's funny, I'm, I'm rereading a, a book about George Washington's tenure as president. And Jay's treaty was one of his biggest issues. And most people don't even know what that is. And it started with what is Congress's role in foreign policy and what are the powers that are, are given to the president. And so it, it's, it's always interesting to me, many of the debates that we are having right now are the same debates that have been going on uh, for the history of, of our, our republic. And for me, I think it's Congress has that oversight role, that oversight function, asking the questions, making sure that you're bringing executive branch officials to the Hill to ask and, and getting asked the tough questions on policy, why, outcome, responses. I think we, you know, it's Congress's role to continue to shine a light on some of these activities and, and ask those tough questions and being away from the day-to-day activity when it comes to prosecuting or, or implementing our foreign policy to give that kind of 30,000-foot view. I, right. I think that is is critically important. You know, the debate about... You know, the authorized use of military force and whether, you know, what role Congress should have in that and when it should be asked for and given. It's healthy to have these debates whenever a administration, you know, changes. Yeah. One area that I think will be debated or discussed uh, in Congress a lot is Iran. In 2015, the U.S. and several other world powers agreed to a deal that, that limited Iran's nuclear program in return for lifting international sanctions. And then every 90 days, the State Department has to notify Congress about whether Iran is complying with the terms of that deal. The IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, says that Iran is complying. Reportedly, Trump's national security team has recommended that he keep it in place, the deal, and think that they're complying. Uh, the U.K., China, France, Russia, Germany have made it clear they want the deal in place. But President Trump is on record saying he wanted to declare Iran noncompliant 180 days ago, and he expects that by October uh, they'll determine that Iran has violated the deal. You're an intel guy. Does that desire to declare Iran noncompliant, regardless of what the facts and experts say, worry you? Is that the wrong approach? Well, you know, this is such a tricky topic because, you know, I I fundamentally disagree with kind of the the heart of of the deal, right? And and that that goes from, you know, almost a decade of chasing Iranian IRGC Quds Force, you know, it's basically mm-hmm. Iranian military's uh, special forces. And so I I think there is ambiguity in the language of the deal, you know, the fact that IAEA 
inspectors are unable to go into military facilities because the Iranians have said that that would be a violation of their national sovereignty. Um, that means that the IAEA is only allowed to go into places that the Iranians deem okay. Uh, based on the agreement, the Iranians have up to, I think it's, it's either 23 or 27 days in order to allow inspectors to come in. That is problematic. And mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, some of the the philosophy behind the deal that by the time these nuclear limitations that the JCPOA put on Iran, but by the time those were over, that the re- region would have changed so much that the Iranians would not be seeking nuclear weapons. You know, I, I disagree with that premise. Um, now, the question is, what do you do? And the only way that we can deal with Iran is as a unified international community. And so, you know, taking unilateral steps um, when it comes to the JCPOA without the support of, you know, France and Germany and other folks that would that we need in order to continue to put pressure on the Iranian regime is going to be difficult at best. And so, yeah. you know, how how do you ensure that the inspections you know, are operating and beginning access to the places they need. And do we even know all the locations that the Iranians are doing their nuclear weapons development or testing on their ICBMs? Having come out of the intelligence community, I would say that we don't we don't know what we don't know. Yeah, you know, look, I think that's fair. I mean, I think it's bullshit to deny access to the parks in sight. I think we can't allow them to continue to test ICBM technology the way North Korea has. The UN Security Council needs to do a better job of ratcheting down sanctions on that. But to your exact point, I mean, I worry that if we pull up or tear up the Iran deal, what comes next? I fear that it's more likely that the United States will become isolated by the international community as they continue to do business as usual with Iran than that we'll be able to bring along the other powers. And, and like, I agree with you, we should not trust the Iranians. I mean, I was there when we disclosed the secret GOM nuclear site. And that was thanks to great work by the CIA and, and liaison partners and other countries. But we need to stay on them. It's just, you know, I look at North Korea and I look at Iran, where at least there's a process that allows the IAEA access to their nuclear facilities versus the black box in North Korea. And I worry that that's the alternative, you know? Look, it's interesting points because you're right. When it comes to North Korea, uh, Kim Jong-un, the dictator there, is, you know, his number one motivation is to stay in power. And he believes the way to stay in power is to do what his father and his grandfather, the first leader, could not do, and that's getting nuclear weapons. And he believes that if he's able to do that, then the U.S. and the international community will deal with him differently. So we, you know, how do you create an environment in which Kim Jong-un's calculation is if he continues to pursue nuclear weapons, he won't be able to stay in power. And I I think a push for dialogue is important. And and I think everybody has said that resolving things diplomatically is the preferred route. And one of the things that I learned when I was in the CIA is 
be nice with nice guys and tough with tough guys. And I think <laughs> right. being tough with Kim Jong-un, being tough with the Iranian regime is important. But, you know, diplomacy matters. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm a so I was undercover as a State Department officer when I was overseas. I'm a big fan of the diplomatic corps. Uh, Ryan Crocker was my ambassador when I was in, in Pakistan. And he always said, if you had more wingtips and pumps on the ground, you prevent boots <laughs> on the ground. Um, yeah. So putting more more diplomats are yeah. important to understand these nuances to try to come to some kind of agreement that's good for the United States and the rest of the world. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You talked about when you were chasing down Al-Qaeda in the mid-2000s, they would write physical letters and drop them on people's doorsteps to intimidate the population, to recruit new members, to spread their propaganda. Now ISIS can reach hundreds of thousands of people per year with the same kinds of messages on social media. And this, so this, there has been this exponential leap in their propaganda capability with no commensurate leap forward for us and our ability to stop them. I'm wondering what you think we should do about this. You know, if this is the U.S. government's responsibility or if we need to lean on tech companies, like what's the path forward here? Together is the answer. Um, And it's not, you know, Secretary Tillerson is not going to be able to solve this problem with his Twitter feed alone. Right. You know, we need to make sure that we're working with our moderate Sunni Arab allies. Um, Mohammed bin Salman, um, the new crown prince in, in Saudi Arabia, has talked about how this branch of Islam is a, it's a civil war within Islam. You know, we need our friends to help with some of the counter messaging as well. We need the technology companies to help us understand, you know, how messages become sticky and how you can counter that. And we need to have a, a national strategy that includes public 
and private sector to deal with this. And, and this is not just a problem when it comes to um, fighting Islamic terrorism. It, it's something that we have to deal when it comes to combating uh, covert action from countries like Russia. The Russians, it's very clear that they're involved, they were trying to involve and manipulate our elections. You know, we do not have a counter covert influence strategy in our government. And that's something that that we need to be thinking about who is responsible for that. Um, Covert, you know, disinformation or counter disinformation is a is a part of covert action. Covert action is the responsibility of the CIA. But the National Security Act of 1957, I believe, 47, 57, um, said that you know, the CIA can't do those things in the United States of America. So who is responsible and, and who are the various elements responsible? And that is we need to do a better job. I know, you know, countering violent extremism, CVE, is is one of the issues that the Department of Homeland Security is looking at and how you inculcate communities within the United States against this terrorist messaging. But we, you know, I, I think advances in, in artificial intelligence and machine learning can help us stop some of this messaging before it hits the airwaves. Um, I think right. it also can be used to help make sure that we're focused on the right communities um, with the counter messaging. And so this can't be done by the government alone, but the government should be helping to focus the efforts of the private sector and the nonprofit community on the folks that are pushing a message, on you know the communities that they're trying to reach in order to tailor that. Because look, I always ask, folks, you know, what day do we celebrate when the global war on terrorism is over? And (laughs) the best answer I've gotten is that terrorism is like influenza. It's something that we're going to always be dealing with. We can, you know, um, help, you know, inoculate communities to this, but maybe one or two folks are going to ultimately get it. And we can crush ISIS. We can crush Al-Qaeda. We can crush Al-Shabaab. We crushed 17 November. But this ideology will always be there. And we have to be prepared to counter the ideology as well as laying the hammer down on the the leaders of these organizations. Do you think, can we counter propaganda when our politics is so broken that we have people who would rather believe Vladimir Putin or Russia claims about another candidate than the opposition political party? I mean, that's the part I can't wrap my head around in this last election. You know, I I think what I have seen in my own personal experiences is that people are looking for their elected officials to transcend D and R and focus on things um, that impact the American people. So I... I do believe we can, we must do better because if we don't, this is an existential crisis to our great country. And this experiment called America, it's only as good as the people that are in it. And we have to make sure that we're working together against these common threats. Congressman, I know you have to go. Thank you so much for talking in uh, nuanced ways about complicated things. That seems like a rare a rare thing in that city you're in now, so good luck. <laughs> and and thank you for being on Pod Save the World. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. We got to do it again. Yes, sir. Thank you.
Ashley's Memorial Day mattress sale is going on now. Save big on select adjustable mattress sets, up to $1,200 on Beautyrest Black, up to $800 on Purple, and up to $500 on Tempur-Pedic. Plus, get 72-month special financing with select in-store mattress purchases made with your Ashley Advantage Synchrony credit card between May 14th and June 3rd. Visit your local Ashley store or ashley.com for better sleep and savings. Only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. No minimum purchase required. See store for details. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.